Maxwell House Coffee presents Good News of 1939. The makers of Maxwell House Coffee welcome you to another hour of entertainment brought to you from the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Studios in Hollywood. Tonight our program features Lionel Barrymore, Dew Ayers, Eleanor Powell, Alan Jones, and Fanny Bryce and Hanley Stafford, Frank Morgan, Francis Wallace, Spain Football Authority, and Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. And here's your host for the evening, Robert Young. Thank you, Ted. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We have a big program for you tonight, and we couldn't think of a better way to start it off than to hear Meredith Wilson's bright new arrangement, When the Circus Came to Town. gentlemen, I want to introduce a handsome leading man, a fine actor, a good friend of mine, and one of the greatest singers that the screen has ever known. Yeah, just uh, a minute, Bob. I'd, I'd... Uh, what's the matter, Frank? Uh... What's the matter? I, uh, I can't sing tonight. Uh, <coughs> me, 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 me. Uh, Reggie Tom and... Oh, no, I can't. Have... I, uh, see what you mean. Yeah. But what makes you think I'm talking about you? Well, as the French say, je pense d'un je sois. Well, that doesn't fit, but it's good. <laughs> Listen, loudmouth, I'm in stables. stables. Oh, working a partner in the program, eh? Yeah. You stable that's that shrewd thing of finaglers. Well, there's no <laughs> finagling about, about it. Alan and I will be great in this program. Together yeah. we'll give it a certain air. Uh, certainly. Yes. Uh, I knew there was something. <laughs> yeah, in the wind. <laughs> yeah. Well, can I help it if I get the laugh ahead? <laughs> yes. Well, while I'm on the subject, Young, you can expect a letter from my attorneys in the morning. Had I not patronized your noisome stables, I would be able to sing this evening. What are you talking about? Well, I rented one of your animals this afternoon. After riding him for less than 15 minutes, he collapsed. One of my horses? Yes. What did you do? Well, fortunately, my early days, a veterinary surgeon in Poughkeepsie... Veterinary surgeon? Yes, well, don't act so surprised, young. 
When a man has spent his boyhood on a farm, he learns to be a little of everything. Yeah. At the time, the horse was seized with this spasm, which I recognized instantly as galapophobia, horse cirrhosis. We were all alone together on a wooded hilltop just outside of the city limits. Yes. Luckily, there was plenty of dogwood close at hand. Dogwood? Yes. Well, if it's good for dogs, it's good for horses. Uh, I quickly pulverized it into four-ounce pellet, and using a hollow reed as a blowpipe, I prepared to project it down the animal's gullet. Why, listen, Frank, dogwood yes. is the nastiest tasting stuff in the world. Yes. You were going to give that sick horse four ounces of it? The standard cure for the complaint. I inserted the pill in one end of the pipe, placed it between the animal's teeth, took a deep breath, and prepared to blow. It was awful. What happened? Well, the horse blew first. <laughs> well, that's why I can't sing now. You'll have to call me later. So long. I got yeah, it. Yeah, so long. <laughs> oh, well. Friends of Maxwell House, here's the man I was talking about in the first place. Alan Jones. Go to the song that with his screaming career. Go to it, partner. I have an ear for music and I have an eye for the maid. I like a pretty girlie with each pretty tune that's played. A pretty girl is like a melody. That haunts you night and day She will leave you under the Come back again A pretty girl is just like a pretty upon a marathon and run around your brain. I simply can't resist because I'm fine. She's on my mind. And I'm alone. Alone with the sky of romance above. was made for love. There'll be music in my heart, I know, the day she comes along. The one I love is coming along someday, and I have none except the There's a song in the air But the fair senorita Doesn't seem to care For the song in the air Again, we bring you Fanny Bryce as that lovable rascal, Baby Snooks. Tonight, Daddy, played by Hanley Stafford, is faced with a new problem. Snooks has been playing hooky from school. Right now, Daddy and Mother are talking over the situation calmly. Listen. That kid will drive me crazy. Where is the little forger? Forger? Just look at this note she sent to school. The truant officer gave it to me. Now listen. Dear teacher... Please excuse my daughter, Snooks, for not coming home to school Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. 
If I feel better, I'll come Friday. Oh! I think I hear her coming back from school now. School? Probably been hanging around some pool room. Send her in to me. All right, all right, but don't lose your temper. No, 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 no. Send her in. Hello, Hello. Snooks. Hi, Mommy. Daddy wants to see you. Why? You'll find out. Oh. I think I'd better go out and play. Snooks! Come in here. Hello, Daddy. <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> and how's my little schoolgirl today? <laughs> what are you yelling about? I don't know. Now, <laughs> well, tell me, what have you learned in school the last few days? Hmm. It was a very hard lesson. I'll bet it was. Uh-huh. Teacher made us, told, made us learn how to write a letter. I know. I just saw a sample of your homework. Huh? Nothing. Now, <laughs> just tell me one thing. Are you sure you were in school today? Yes, Daddy. Then you must have seen the visitor who was here. Did you? Uh-huh. Oh, fine. Who was the visitor? Mm. Was it Shirley Temple? I'm asking you! It wasn't Shirley Temple. No, it was the truant officer. And I don't believe you went to school today. Yes, I did, Daddy. Then why are you home so soon? It's an hour earlier than usual. Is it? Yes, it is. Why are you home so soon? Um, they let us go home because... Because what? Because the teacher got a new baby today. Snooks! Your teacher's not even married. Well... She's going to get married tomorrow. Tomorrow? That's why they let us go home. Oh, that's the most marvelous, the most colossal, the most terrific excuse I've ever heard in my life. You like it, Daddy? I hate it. Now listen, Snooks. I know you didn't go to school, and I'm just giving you a chance to confess. I won't lose my temper. I just want the truth. All right, Daddy. I'll tell you the truth. All right, go ahead. <laughs> What would he do to me if I played hooky? I'll give you the licking of your life. I went to school. <laughs> okay. Then tell me what happened in school yesterday. Yesterday? Yes, yesterday. Oh. Never mind. Let's start with Monday. What did you do in school on Monday? Um, Monday I got a hundred in arithmetic. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see about that. Now, look. If I have two bananas and you give me two more bananas, how many bananas will I have? Uh, five. No, no. You can't even do a simple problem like that. It ain't my fault, Daddy. Well, why not? In our school, we do it with apples. <laughs> All right. If you insist you went to school, what else happened on Monday? Mm. Willie Johnson got zero for copying my stuff. Oh, wasn't that awful what happened to Willie Johnson? I hear he fell down the steps during recess Monday. Hmm? Yes. They tell me he skinned his arm pretty badly. Oh, yes, Daddy. He hurt himself awful bad. Oh, you you saw him fall? I took him to the nurse. What? Uh-huh. And she put all kinds of medicine on it, and then the ambulance came, and the doctor cut off his arm. No. Uh, yes, Daddy. Willie Johnson wasn't in school at all Monday. Then it was the day before. I remember. The day before was Sunday. Oh. Willie Johnson never fell down at all. I made the whole thing up. Why? Never mind why. Snooks, I happen to know that you haven't been to school for three days. Yes, I was, Daddy. Now, I want you to be careful, Snooks. Why? I'm very angry. And if I were you, I wouldn't lie that way. It's the only way I know how. Don't you see how horrible this is? You played hooky for three days, and then you forged my name to a note. Snooks, I just want you to understand how awful one lie can really be. You mean like the whopper you told about Willie Johnson? <laughs> Never mind about that. Why did you play hooky? Don't you like to go to school? Mm-hmm. I like to go to school. Yes? And I like coming home. Well? But I don't like staying there in between. <laughs> oh, Snooks, why are you such a naughty girl? Don't you want to go to heaven? No, I want to go with you, Daddy. Now, 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 look here. I want to tell you something. Mother has a lovely supper waiting for you. Strawberry shortcake and everything. Strawberry shortcake? <laughs> yes. But if you don't confess you played hooky and say you're sorry, I'm going to put you to bed without any supper. Now you can yell all your life. 
You'll get nothing unless you admit what you've done. Oh, I... I done it. You played hooky? Uh-huh. I see. Are you sorry? I'm sorry, Daddy. Well, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. But I want you to repent because your conscience tells you, not because I threaten you. Yes, Daddy. Now listen, sir. There's an old saying that confession is good for the soul. And as long as I'm sure you've gained spiritually by this experience, I'll be satisfied. Now, don't you feel better way down deep inside of you? No, but I will in a minute. Why? Because uh, I'm going to get some strawberry dancing. Oh, <laughs> you little... Ah! <laughs> And now Ted Pearson tells you about the new Maxwell House. Have you tried Maxwell House lately? If you haven't, then in the opinion of thousands of people everywhere, you're missing the greatest coffee pleasure in your life. You see, today, everybody who's enjoying this new Maxwell House is drinking coffee that's even richer and more delicious than ever before. Yes, no matter how good a product is, Constant research generally finds a way to improve it. And that's just what's been done to Maxwell House coffee. It's been improved in two important ways. First, this really superb blend of the world's choice coffees has been still further enriched. You will taste this extra richness with your very first cup. You will, we believe, notice smoothness, a mellowness beyond any coffee you've ever known. Second, this wonderfully enriched Maxwell House is now roasted by a new method, the radiant roast process. Radiant heat penetrates clear through each coffee bean. Gives it not just a surface roasting, but roasts it evenly through and through. There's no under-roasting on the inside, no parching on the outside. Naturally, this brings out more fully all the rich, delicious flavor in the coffee. This new Maxwell House comes in the same familiar blue can. The famous super vacuum can, which keeps it so much fresher. Roaster fresh. Tomorrow, ask your grocer for a pound of Maxwell House coffee. You will find Maxwell House still selling at low prices, friendly to your budget. And you will agree that now more than ever, it's the coffee that is good to the last drop. Recognize that music, ladies and gentlemen, Rosalie. And when you hear that music, you must instantly think of that electric personality that brilliant performer who contributed so much to Rosalie. The world's finest dancer... Uh, uh, wait a minute, Bob. Oh, what do you want now, Morgan? Uh, I can't dance tonight. Oh, please, Frank. It happens I'm talking about a young lady named Eleanor Powell. We've decided to let her dance tonight instead of you. Oh, well, I'm glad you were able to find such a good substitute. I'll watch her do her number and perhaps be able to give her a few hints on technique later. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Eleanor Powell... I'm glad to see you, Eleanor, and I think it's very nice of you to drop in and give our program a little extra rhythm. What kind of dance are you going to do? Well, I've been experimenting with some steps for my new picture, Hallelujah. Oh, something Hawaiian. No, it's a waltz, but it's not like a waltz clock. It's a tense to apply modern rhythm to the waltz. Like this. Something like this, if you know what I mean. I think I get the idea. That was very nice, Eleanor. But I wish you'd do that dance I saw you rehearsing on the soundstage the other day. You know, the fast one. You really want that one? You bet. Ladies and gentlemen, this dance that Miss Powell does is about the fastest thing I ever heard coming out of tap shoes. Just to show you what I mean, say, uh, sound man, let's have that machine gun effect. No, 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 something faster than that. How about a riveting machine? Nah, still not fast enough. Eleanor, you show the people what I mean. Give us that Limehouse Blues number.
Nothing short of sensational. Oh, yes, it was, Eleanor. The only thing I would suggest is that when you do that crippled crossover, when the heel drops clearer so the cramp roll comes through. Oh, thank you, Mr. Morgan. I'll remember that. Yeah, well, that's fine. Now, you can take a rest now. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, Senator Morgan, where do you yeah. get off giving dancing instructions to the greatest woman tap dance in the world? Why, there's 70 dancing clubs named after Eleanor who are listening in tonight. Yes, but my dear boy, the girl has talent. Why shouldn't I give her the benefit of my ten years' experience as the director of the International Russian Ballet? You were the director of the Russian Ballet? I was director and premier dancer, if you please, in sole charge of the corps of 250 beautiful ballerinas. The finest ballet the world has ever known under His Royal Highness Alexandrovna Vasilev Bubushka II. <laughs> In fact, it was common knowledge, young, that I was Biagalev's greatest pupil, and it was a clear case of the pupil outshining the master. Uh, you did all that, huh? Yes. Well, what about Pajinsky? What's that? Pajinsky. Pajinsky. Gesundheit. Uh, Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, Tavarich, I often long for those glamorous days in old St. Petersburg, with a gay throng of us driving down the Nevsky Prospect in a drushki after the showski. I had a performance. Yes, there's a long, there's a long in my soul, a definite ache for the ballet. Oh, a ballet ache. I... <laughs> Frank, if you were doing so well in the Russian ballet, how did you happen to leave the country? Well, you must remember that in those days I was even more sensitive than I am now, if that's possible. I think it is. Peasant. I, uh... I had the sensitive soul of an artist, and I left Russia because of one remark from the lips of His Royal Highness, Prince Metalnik. Well, what did His Highness say? Well, he said, if you're not out of here by tomorrow morning, you'll be shot. Oh, so you uh, took the hint. Yes, and the train. And the 250 ballerinas. <laughs> but that was only the beginning of uh, what Frank, I... uh, why did the prince chase you out of Russia? Yes. Did you have trouble with the princess? What an idea. In those days, Bob, there was a good deal of social unrest in Russia. Agricultural difficulties, economic disturbances. Frank. Things that were... Frank. Yes? Why did the prince chase you out of Russia? Uh, Young, you have a one-track mind. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're on the right track. <laughs> the princess was indirectly concerned with my tragic departure. Oh, indirectly. Yes. All right, let's have the story. Well, Her Royal Highness was a well-preserved woman of about, uh, oh, 19. Uh, like most of the other ladies of the court, she had implored me to give her private dancing lessons. On account of her high rank, I was unable to refuse. So one day in her boudoir... Boudoir? We were, uh, yes, that's a strange place for a piano, wasn't it? <laughs> but come to think of it, we never had anybody to play it. Oh, no music, but you were teaching the princess to dance. My dear boy, she wanted to learn interpretive dancing. But one day in the middle of the lesson, the prince happened to walk in. He was the only man in St. Petersburg that wore rubber heels on his boots. Wait. I had to leave Russia. What for? He only found you giving his wife lessons in interpretive dancing. Uh, interpretive dancing. Yes. yes, well, he got the wrong interpretation. <laughs> well, uh... Where did you go then, Frank? Well, I fled to warm-hearted Paris, where I was received with wild acclaim. It was there I created and first presented my famous Terpsichorean masterpiece, L'Après-Midi d'Enfant. What does that mean? The afternoon of a phony. <laughs> you should have seen me, Bob. I danced with the grace of an antelope, the speed of a flying bird, the lightness of thistledown. I'd whirl out of a pirouette into an arabesque. Out of an arabesque into a tour jeté. Out of a tour jeté into a saloon. Ah, uh, the uh, Parisians liked that, huh? Liked it. They were delirious. They wouldn't let me leave the stage until I'd given 39 numbers. 39? Yes. Well, you must have had a large repertoire. Yes, but I went on a diet. <laughs> Anyhow, they kept calling for Morgan in spite of the fact that the celebrated Yvette was still to make her appearance. Well, who was Yvette? Oh, she was a fascinating woman in a, an unyielding sort of a way. <laughs> I, uh, I think her mother was frightened by a frigid air. <laughs> anyway, there 
there she stood, tapping her feet impatiently in the wings while I took encore after encore. Finally, I begged off. The orchestra struck up Yvette's in the first number, and poof, the electrician fainted. Yeah. But I leapt to the switchboard myself as she danced onto the stage. My natural instinct for color led me to perfect lighting combinations, which made her number a sensation. Well, that was quick thinking, Frank. Oh, yes. At the conclusion of her first number, I plunged the stage into darkness so Yvette could make a quick change of costume. The orchestra was already playing the introduction when she suddenly called for her tights. Instantly, pandemonium reigned. Why? I thought she said light. <laughs> it, uh... It, uh, it was a very unfortunate mistake, but not a single ticket holder complained. <laughs> well, I bet you gave up dancing after that. Until today, I made a little deal with Elna Powell. What kind of a deal, Senator? Well, I teach her ballet, and she's trying to get me the jitterbug votes for my senatorial campaign. Come on, Elna, explain it. The voters are all jitterbugs, and you must be right with them. If you want to get their votes, first you have to get their rhythm. You mean if I don't sing and swing, I haven't got a chance. Well, singing is important, but what's more, you've got to dance. Well, lady, your suggestion to me suddenly is clear. If you really get my meaning, give the folks a rough idea. Well, I just waltz or do the rumba. Any dance I do can't miss. My collection will be in the bag with campaign songs like this. So... Dance up to the ballot box and cast your vote for me. From Maine to Tennessee is Morgan. Put the tap dance on the map and spread the word around. A new swing king's been found and it's Morgan. My friends, when I'm elected, I will change the laws around. I promise bigger, big apple. How's about trucking on down? Up to the ballot box and cast your vote for me. We'll have a jubilee for Morgan. I'll make no boring speeches and no politicians talk. Down the aisle in Morgan style, we'll do the Lambeth Walk. Washington, I'll live up to my rep. We'll start the whole world dancing and we'll swing along with pep. the moment of relaxation over a steaming, fragrant cup of Maxwell House coffee. You know something, Ted? What's that? For a long time now, I've always, or rather, we've always invited our friends listening in to keep us company with a cup of Maxwell House coffee. I wonder how many people actually do. Well, I don't know, Bob, but I'd like to ask all our friends to join us right now in a friendly cup of the new Maxwell House. That's a good idea, Ted, and we'll ask Meredith to pour out some music to go along with it. Now pause briefly for a station identification. We continue our good news program with Lionel Barrymore, Lou Ayers, Frank Morgan, Alan Jones, Francis Wallace, and Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. Maxwell House Coffee presents a preview of Young Dr. Kildare, a picture starring two men who are favorites with movie fans everywhere. Favorite number one, that grand star of the stage and screen, Lionel Barrymore. Favorite number two, Lou Ayers. Young Dr. Kildare is the dramatic story of the son of a country doctor who returns home from medical school. Unable to identify his own proper place, 
in the vast field of medicine, he has secretly secured an appointment in a great New York hospital, thus disappointing his doting parents, who had expected him to take over his father's small-town practice. Off to New York he goes, leaving empty hearts behind him. As our scene opens, Jimmy, played by Lou Ayers, with a group of other new interns, is in the office of Dr. Carew, head of the New York hospital. Dr. Carew is about to greet these young men officially and then present them to the medical genius of the hospital, Dr. Gillespie, played by Lionel Barrymore. The new interns, Dr. Carew. Oh, yes, the new interns. Good morning. Good morning. Gentlemen, you are standing on the threshold of your medical careers. I want to extend you my own greetings, and I want to introduce to you one of the greatest intellects of the medical world, a man who lends dignity to this institution. I refer to Dr. Leonard Gillespie. <clears throat> we are still waiting for Dr. Gillespie, and while we're waiting, may I point out to you that only a very great doctor can afford to disregard the rules of punctuality. And, and uh, furthermore, I... Uh... Good morning. Before you go any further about punctuality, Carew, will you tell me what disease is ever cured? Uh, uh, oh, well, never mind, never mind. Uh, what are these? Uh, some very... Uh, learned young interns. Yeah. Well, you've all won your degrees. You claim to be doctors. I want one of you to step forward and look at my hands and tell me anything he finds there of pathological interest. Well, come, come, come. I won't bite. Is there or isn't there a doctor among you? Yes, sir. Ah, one brave man. Come on, come right up. Take hold of my hands. Turn them over. Look with your eyes and look with your brains and tell me what's in them. There's a, a slight discoloration partly under the nail and partly at the edge of the nail of the little finger, sir. Ah, you're looking only with your eyes. Anyone can see a slight discoloration. What does it mean? Speak, young man, speak. What do you see? May I feel the epitrochlear gland in your elbow, sir? God, go. what do you mean? Who are you? What's your name? Kildare. James Kildare. Kildare. Yeah, that's an Irish name. <laughs> well, the Irish do well with horses. Uh, maybe that's your talent, Kildare. Not men, but horses. A short time later, Jimmy is summoned to the great Gillespie's office. Dr. Gillespie sent for me. My name is Kildare. Oh, yes. This way, Doctor. You want to see Dr. Kildare, Dr. Gillespie? I don't want to, but I need to. Send him in. Yes, sir. Just sit down there till I finish with this patient. Have I got to cut down on the stuff, Doctor? Should I taper off, maybe on wine and beer? Well, why taper off? Stick to whiskey if you like it better. It's too late for you to change now. Too late? I mean, I, I can't be cured. You had your warnings ten years ago, and your chance. Good day, sir. This way out, please. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, Kildare, you wouldn't talk to him like that, I suppose. The fools who threw away what God gave him. You'd still baby him with soft talk, huh? You sent for me, sir. Yes, I sent for you. Say, what was your idea of being a doctor, anyway? I suppose you thought it'd be a nice, easy way to make a living, huh? That wasn't my idea at all. Oh, I should have known. <laughs> You're going to save the human race. You had a picture of yourself dashing into some place with a test tube in your hand and holding it up and saying, Gentlemen, I found it. After years of effort, I've discovered the cure for Barber's itch. Not that either. Well, you, you must have some goal. What is it? That's what I'm trying to find out. Ah, I believe you. Now, tell me uh, what you saw on my hand this morning. I'd rather not say, sir, until I've examined the gland in your elbow. Why should you want to thumb me all over like an old textbook? Well, here you are. Come along, let's have it. I believe the bruise on your finger is cancer, sir. The swollen gland confirms it. You know what that means? It means death. Ah, what kind of a diagnosis is that? 
We all have to die. You, you can look at a newborn baby and say death, and sooner or later you'll be right. But death has no meaning until someone answers the question, how soon? Well, answer me. How soon? Maybe, maybe ten years. Maybe. Ah, don't lie to me. Have the courage of your guesses if you've got nothing else. With luck, you have one year. Where's your proof? I was hopeful you had an instinct for diagnosis and a mind to back it up. I was even hopeful I could take you and teach you the things I've given my life to learn. But, but I'll have no truck with guessing, and, and wrong guessing at that. Get out. Go on, get out. Yes, sir. Where's the next patient? I haven't got any time to waste. And that is young Dr. Kildare's introduction to his work in the hospital. The next day, he goes on ambulance duty. His first case, an attempted suicide. In a dingy room of a slum tenement, Dr. Kildare finds a beautiful young girl lying apparently dead on the floor. Feverishly, he works over her until a faint heart murmur convinces him her life can be saved. Madly, he rushes her back to the hospital. And two hours later, the beautiful young girl is revived enough to talk a little. Dr. Kildare stands beside her as she lies in a ward at the hospital. The unknown girl, played by Joanne Sayers, opens her eyes. Sees him. Who, who are you? I'm a friend. I, I... Steady, steady. Everything is all right. All right? It's all right. I'm your friend. Then let me die. You're going to sleep again now. You need to sleep and be strong. I have to die. Why do you have to die? Tell me why. Before. Before they all find out. Sleep. That's right. Sleep. Sleep. Dr. Kildare. Yes? Dr. Gillespie's coming to look at your case. All right. My young men are highly excited. They tell me of a very attractive young lady here. Now that you're bringing the dead to life, well, she'll live, all right. For once, my young men were right. I never saw anything more lovely, nor anything stranger than a young doctor who has no eye to see it. Oh, or have you noticed it? Well, well yes, yes, she is, isn't she? Well, uh, since you didn't notice her beauty, what have you noticed about her? Height, weight, approximate age, general physical condition, and, and a few other details. Young Dr. Kildare, what's her name? Identity unknown, Dr. Gillespie. Well, that's unimportant. The thing is, what made her do it? It wasn't money. The fur piece we found in her room, the nurse tells me, is sable. You're trying to tell me she ran away from a well-to-do, happy home to commit suicide in a cheap rooming house. That's my idea, sir. I suppose, then, you've decided her mind is unsettled and you're going to send her to a psychopathic ward. I think not, sir. Ah, you think not, huh? Well, well then, what is your theory about her? She's simply afraid. What's she afraid of? I don't know, sir. He doesn't know, huh? Well, perhaps you have an instinctive feeling about the case. Perhaps I have, sir. <laughs> yeah, what fools we'd be with our laughter if we turned out to be right in the end. You want it on the ambulance at once, Dr. Kildare. Right away. Oh, uh, nurse, she's not a mental case. Just put a screen around her and let her sleep. Yes, Doctor. Uh, oh, girl. oh, quick, bring me a tourniquet. Yeah, she's hurry, trying to do it again. Please, The mysterious girl has tried suicide again. Dr. Kildare manages to get from her in strictest confidence some inkling of her difficulties. But before he is able to clear up the case completely, it is discovered that the girl is the daughter of multimillionaire Chandler, and the case is turned over to a famous psychiatrist who fails to cure Barbara Chandler of what he decides to be insanity. Still, Dr. Kildare refuses to betray her confidence for fear the information may only add conviction to the theory that she is mentally unbalanced. As a result, he is summoned by Dr. Carew for a private conference. Kildare... I blame this entire situation entirely upon your refusal to tell us what Miss Chandler said. I asked you to let me see her first. You can see now how important it is that you tell us, can't you? I'm sorry, I can't. You... you realize the consequences of refusing to obey my orders? This is one time when I can't obey them. Uh, let's see. Your father's a doctor, isn't he? Yes, he's a country doctor. And a fine one. Is your mother living? 
Listen, Dr. Carew, my mother is alive. She and my father are very proud of me. They're watching everything that happens to me, and it would break their hearts if anything went wrong with my career here. I know that. But still, I'm not going to tell you what Miss Chandler said to me. Operator, this is Dr. Carew. My office, please. Dr. Carew speaking. Notify all departments. Dr. Kildare is suspended from duty until further orders. But Jimmy still feels the girl's sanity can be established, and he starts out by himself to solve the baffling problem. After an exciting afternoon with the aid of an ambulance, a friendly chauffeur, and a large monkey wrench, he hurries back to force his way into Dr. Gillespie's office. Dr. Gillespie, I know why Barbara Chandler tried to kill herself. Well, 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 Kildare, you don't say. If I can see her, I know I can straighten everything out. So you want me to ask Lane Porteous, who's been practicing psychiatry for 30 years, to step aside in favor of Kildare, who's been playing detective for a couple of hours. Is that it? You don't understand, sir. Why don't you come to your senses, Kildare? Miss Chandler's case has been settled. Settled? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, sir. I'm, I'm afraid I've just wasted your valuable time. Kildare. Yes, sir. I was just thinking... Looks to me like you're in the doghouse now. Might as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb. Well, what are you standing there gawking at me for? (laughs) Well, they've been saying it for years. There's no fool like an old fool. Let me have Miss Chandler's nurse. Hello, who's this? Nurse Bert? Hello, Molly. This is Dr. Gillespie. Now, listen, I want you to do something for me. Let Dr. Kildare see Miss Chandler alone. And so sage old Dr. Gillespie sees in young Dr. Kildare that spark of courage which sets him apart from the others. Two great characters, the old doctor and the young and a situation that tests them to the final minutes of the story. Thank you, and congratulations, Mr. Barrymore, and the same to you, Lou Ayers. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard several scenes from Young Dr. Kildare, the first picture in a new series which will star Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie and Lou Ayers as Young Dr. Kildare, to be produced by Metro-Golden-Mayer Studio, the same studios that have brought you the amazing, successful series, Judge Hardy's Family. But, but Bob, you... you... You've forgotten a lot of things. The great comedy supplied by Nat Pendleton, and the fine work of Joe Ann Sayers as Barbara, and Lynn Carver as the girl back home, and Truman Bradley, and, and a salute to Harry Bouquet, the director, and the producer, Lou Ostro, for a fine job. And a salute to you, Lionel. And may I tell you how much I've always wanted to play in a picture with you. Ah, you young whippersnapper. <laughs> <laughs> so don't any of you miss the first of Young Dr. Kildare's series when it plays your favorite theater very soon. <laughs> now we're going to hear from Mr. Jones' favorite boy, the pal of my stable days, Alan Jones. This time he's going to sing, The Song Is You." I hear music when I look at you A beautiful theme of every dream I ever knew It's pounding deep inside of my heart I hear it say Is this the Love is strange. I alone have 
must it be forever inside of me? Why can't I let it go? Why can't I let it go? Why can't I let it go? Another of those popular good news satires. This one is titled, If Men Gave Charity Bazaars as Women Do. Frank Morgan and Bob Young are just entering the club rooms of the Gentlemen's Educational and Poker Club, where the bazaar is to be held. Well, Morgan, I suppose you win prizes again for your wonderful cooking. You always do with these bazaars. Well, yes. You remember last year I won first prize for the best pickle? Oh, it's... If I could only cook like you, I'd be the envy of every man in our neighborhood. Well, you mustn't forget, I was on the recipe squad at USC. Remind me one of these days, I'll give you my recipe for cauliflower peach herring parfaits. You've never eaten anything quite so zestful, tangy, tasty. Uh-huh. Oh, hello there, you two, Morgan and Young. How are you? Well, will you just looky who's here, Alan Jones? Why, Jonesy, where have you been? Lately? Uh... <laughs> Good heavens, I haven't seen you since the sewing bee at Lou Ayers. Morgan, what in the world have you done to your face? You look different. Oh, well, now, it's nothing, really. I'm just wearing my mustache a little shorter. Adrian says it's all the thing this year. Well, I guess the small mustache is all right, but only if you smoke a big pipe. Uh, Don't you just hate to see a man with a small mustache smoking a small pipe? It looks so, well, sort of skimpy. <laughs> Say, what do you fellas think of Hanny Stafford's mustache? Stafford's mustache. Oh, don't make me laugh, Jones. You mean that football brush he has over his upper lip? What's football got to do with it? <laughs> Eleven on each side. <laughs> You're right, Morgan. I see more hair on a piece of bacon. Oh, say, Morgan, are you going to raffle off kisses at this bazaar? I should say not. No more kiss raffling for me. Not after what happened last time. You mean at our bazaar for the benefit of the wandering sailor's rest? Yes, that's the time. Well, I was raffling off kisses for ten dollars apiece, and Meredith Wilson was over in a corner bootlegging them for two fifty. Oh, uh, don't look now, fellas, but here comes Wilson, and will you look at that new suit? I guess his wife finally got a raise. Well, it's about time he got a new suit. If he wore that blue tweed outfit again, it would probably break off at the elbows. Well, hello, boys. Morgan, Young, and Jones. Well, I haven't seen you all summer. Oh, we've been at the beach for weeks. You know, I rented a little house out there for the children and me. Oh, you know what I like at the beach? That game they play on the boardwalk. It's called Oh Nerds. Game called Oh Nerds? I've never heard of it. Well, it costs ten cents. You get a cardboard with some little beans, and they call out some numbers, and somebody else bingo, and then everybody else says, Oh Nerds. <laughs> Uh, well, it sounds fascinating. Oh, gee, boys, isn't it just scads of fun doing this for sweet charity? I'll say. And uh, here, just feast your eyes on this precious little Afghan I've brought to raffle off. And uh, this tea cozy, it's hand crocheted. Why, oh, it's, it's beautiful. Well, oh, <laughs> then, don't tell us that you crocheted that yourself. No, uh, Papa did it for me. Oh. He's, uh, he's one of the charter members of the Young Men's Crocheting, Knitting, Tatting Association. Why, he's champion in the knitting division. Forty rows an hour and never drops a stitch. <laughs> Does he knit one, curl two method? No, no. He uses the overcast drop one, pick up three, in and out weave. <laughs> and you know my Uncle Felix, the, the one who's a butcher? Well, he's like that. So handy with a needle. Even when he's sewing up a fowl, he hemstitches it. <laughs> what did you bring, Joe? <laughs> For the bazaar, I mean. Well, I've been slaving over a hot stove all morning, and I've made the most delicious non-sinkable crawler. I baked a lovely cake. You baked a cake? Why, certainly. Well, uh, who, who uh, helped you to lift it out of the oven? I say... <laughs> I'm a wonderful cook. Just look at this beautiful three-layer sponge cake. What is that frosting, meringue? No, that's onion team. Onion? 
<laughs> yes, the cake got burnt a little on the top. Oh, that's a fine thing. Bringing a sunburnt cake to the bazaar. Well, I'll have to be getting over to my booth and setting up before the evening crowd starts coming. But, uh, say, before I forget, remember the rummage sale next Saturday, boys. Rummage sale? What uh-huh. should I bring? Oh, you know, any old thing you have lying around the house. Good. I'll bring my brother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you funny man. By the way, fellas, I guess you'll all think me stupid or something, but this bizarre tonight, what's going to happen to all the money we make? It's for charity, you silly boy. Yes, I know, but what charity? Well, it's for... Oh, you tell them, Young. Well, we've been reading about conditions all over the world, so we've appointed Morgan to go on a goodwill tour of Bermuda, and the money will go for his expenses. Bermuda? Bermuda? Yes, that's... Well, say, there's no trouble in Bermuda. I know, but this trip will do me so much good. (laughs) Those of you who really love good coffee will be interested in this letter. Just received from Mrs. Rena Cammons of 266 Williamson Avenue, Hillside, New Jersey. A few weeks ago, a man rang my doorbell and asked me to try a sample of coffee. I protested, saying that I was a Maxwell House user, that I was perfectly satisfied with it. However, he told me that I was under no obligation to buy. He just wanted my opinion. Well, several days later, he called again. I told him that the coffee couldn't compare with Maxwell House coffee and flavor, that I'd tried different brands of coffee until I discovered Maxwell House. And from now on, that was the only brand I'd use. Then he said that Maxwell House coffee sure must be good, because I was about the tenth person on our block that had told him the same story. Well, that really tickled me, and I thought you might like to know about it. Mrs. Cammon's opinion about Maxwell House coffee is worth consideration. She's tried other brands and compared the flavor. If you like a cup of coffee that is richer in body, smooth, mellow, richer in flavor... Then why don't you try the new, improved Maxwell House? You see, this already superb blend of the world's choice coffees has now been even further enriched. And then a new method of roasting called Radiant Roast brings out even more the rich, delicious flavor of these superb coffees. And of course, please remember the new Maxwell House comes in two correct grinds. If you use the drip method of making coffee, the special drip grind Maxwell House will give you coffee uniformly rich and clear in every type of drip or glass coffee maker. For perfect results by the percolator or boiled method, you'll choose the regular Grand Maxwell House. Ask your grocer for a pound of the new and improved Maxwell House tomorrow. You'll be pleased by the O's and O's that come from your family's complete satisfaction with a truly grand cup of coffee. He's with us again this evening for some more football predicting. Francis Wallace. Frank, here's a list of the 20 toughest games of the week and a lot of honeys. Ready? Well, ready as I ever will be for this week's babies. I'm catching a train for the East, Bob, so let's go. Well, before you start East, how about California and UCLA? University of California at Berkeley. Pittsburgh and Wisconsin. Pitt. Minnesota, Michigan. Minnesota. And the Southern Natural, Alabama and Tennessee. Alabama. Tulane and Rice. Tulane. Texas A&M and Texas Christian. Texas Christian. Oh, okay, Frank, here's a nice soft one. Indiana and Nebraska. Soft one, eh? Well, Nebraska. Fordham, Purdue. Fordham. Ohio State, Northwestern. Northwestern. Columbia, Colgate. Sid Luckman, Lou Little, and Columbia. Notre Dame and Illinois. And I'll go along with my Notre Dame boys. Holy Cross, Carnegie. Holy Cross. Pennsylvania, Princeton. Pennsylvania. Navy, Yale. Navy. Army, Harvard. Army. Brown, Dartmouth. Dartmouth. Cornell, Syracuse. Cornell. Mississippi, Vanderbilt. Oh, Mississippi. Oregon, Stanford. Oregon. Duke. Georgia Tech. Duke, now for the train. Oh, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Where are you going? Uh, Bob, after that list you just handed me, I think the destination is unknown. (laughs) Tonight, we inaugurate a new series in the MGM Concert Hall. For more than a year now, Meredith Wilson has chosen the music for the Concert Hall just as he has for the rest of our program. But now he's going to try an experiment in public participation. He's asking people in different walks of life this question. If all the music in the world were suddenly destroyed and you could choose just one composition to hear again and preserve, what piece of music would you select? Tonight's choice, the first in this new series, was made by an elevator operator who is employed here in Los Angeles. His name is Fred Rafter, and the piece of music he wants Meredith to play is the familiar hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful. Or a day's fidelis. Meredith, Alan Jones, and the chorus. 
Mr. Rafter made an excellent choice, and I know you'll all look forward to hearing next week's selection. And friends of Maxwell House, beginning next week, we're planning a succession of star-studded shows, the like of which, we believe, have never before reached the airlanes. The stars of the motion picture and radio worlds will be here to entertain you, starting next week with that lovely star of stars, Joan Crawford. Miss Crawford will present a powerful drama written especially for her. Other guests will be Billy Burke, sweet little Judy Garland, and all the regulars, Fanny Bryce, Hanley Stafford, Frank Morgan, yours truly, and Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. As another special feature, we will present Joan Crawford, Billy Burke, and Fanny Bryce in a satire entitled, If Women Went on Hunting Trips as Men Do. (laughs) Don't miss it. Be on hand yourself and tell your friends about it. See you next Thursday, and in the meantime, go to the movies and take the family with you. Have you seen Stablemates yet with Wally Beery and Mickey Rooney? It's a great show. This is Bob Young saying good night until next Thursday. So long. This is Ted Pearson saying good night and good luck for the makers of Maxwell House, the coffee that's always good to the last drop. This is the National Broadcasting Company.